This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Hi, I'm Melinda, and you're listening to Think Retail. TikTok and Snapchat, Google's antitrust lawsuit, AOC versus Zuckerberg. It seems like every day there's a new factor that could change digital marketing, making it a moving target for brand marketers. With so much to stay up to date on, it can be hard to know where to focus your efforts. Luckily, our guest today lives and breathes a world of digital marketing. Martin Waxman is a digital and social media strategist who also teaches at the Schulich School of Business, Seneca College and McMaster University. And we're gonna talk about the shifting landscape of digital marketing. Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Can you uh, start us off just by telling us a bit about yourself? Uh, Yeah, thanks, Melinda. Great to be here. I actually have kind of a traditional agency background and more of a PR communications agency, which was, I was in for a long time. I started a couple of agencies and um, worked really on consumer packaged goods, although I wanted to do consumer tech because I've been interested in tech, <laughs> for a time, but I couldn't get those clients. Anyway, in the last 10 years, I've kind of shifted to more of a digital marketing, digital, digital communications strategy focus. So uh, I uh, work with clients on that. I do lots of social media and digital marketing and and content marketing training, crisis training for clients. And I'm a LinkedIn learning instructor. So I develop courses for LinkedIn learning. And in fact, if you don't mind my plugging it, I have a series course with them called Digital Marketing Trends. And every two weeks, we uh, come out with a new video, just looking at some of the trends and how it could affect uh, various brands. Great. Well, we will actually link to that because we post a transcript on the podcast page as well. So we okay. can link to that right in the, in the transcript. That's great. Um, so, I mean, 2020 obviously has been a disruptive year for a lot of reasons. Um, and in terms of digital marketing, we've seen a lot of innovation, both in platforms and the types of technology that's being used. What have been some of the biggest takeaways that have excited you over the past year? Well, I think one of the biggest takeaways was that we do have the technology to be able to give people flexibility to work from everywhere. Now, do we want to work from everywhere? That's a question (laughs) that we haven't really been asking, but we're able to do that certainly in the services business, but also for, you know, many other types of organizations. So that's one thing that's great, but what it means is we need to, I think, redefine some of the boundaries. So you're working at home. I'm working at home. Mm-hmm. Um, when I teach my students are at home, sometimes I'll see them, you know, they might be in their bedroom. They could be in the living room. Or in the, who knows where they are? And we need to make sure that we can still have that delineation between our personal lives and our professional lives, because otherwise everything blurs. And really it was blurring before, but when you're at home, you know, how do you get away from it? Second thing is, to ask yourself, is it fair for a company, especially large companies, to expect their employees to work from home and also pay for their own technology? Like you have to pay for your own Wi-Fi. You have to pay, usually you're using your own computer. And so there's things about that that may not necessarily have been considered when defining a compensation package. So I think all of those things are things that we need to think about. And the the last thing is, you know, digital has been accelerating. We know that. But I think COVID has really 
pushed it into warp speed because we can see what we can do. And again, we need to make sure that we have the privacy controls in place for people so that, again, our, our data isn't just being given away without really our knowledge. Right. Yeah, that's a big one. So, I mean, it's obviously, it's, it is true. Digital has just been accelerated and brands can see this and get really excited and see it as an opportunity. What would you say are some of the things that they should consider before just diving in? Well, you guys specialize in retail. I actually come from a retail background. My, my parents had fabric and drapery stores in Winnipeg and I grew up. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think it's always been about the customer in retail. And I, I think that's the same with digital. So we have all these amazing platforms, but TikTok, for example, if your customers aren't using it and you want to use it, unless you're trying to reach a new customer, you're kind of wasting your time. If your customers aren't on Facebook, you know, maybe you shouldn't be there either. Again, unless you're trying to woo a Facebook you know, audience, an audience that is on Facebook. And I think that's really, really important with digital because we have to go to where customers are, not expect them to constantly come to us. And we have to make things easier for them. Plus everyone's now in entertainment. I mean, we're on video here chatting. Probably a year ago, this wouldn't have been a video call. We would have done it through Zencaster or some digital audio platform, but here we are on video. So we're competing with Netflix. We're complete competing with Amazon prime, you know, we're competing with entertainment. And I think we need to think about that and our customers attention as something that we have to earn. And it's yeah. not easy. Yeah. That's a great point because I, I agree with you. It's, it's, you got to be where they are and you have to give them what they're interested in, not just what you want to tell them. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, digital platforms are increasingly coming under scrutiny. This has been a big year for that, whether we're talking about the forced sale of TikTok's North American business or the antitrust lawsuit against Google or Mark Zuckerberg appearing in front of Congress. There's just a growing sense of unease about how much control digital platforms have over the flow of information. What are your thoughts about future regulations and maybe more importantly, how brands can contribute to a more ethical digital experience? That's a great question. I think we need some kind of regulation and, and maybe because I'm Canadian <laughs> and I say that we're kind of used to that sort of thing. Although the Canadian government has not done anything near what our friends in the EU have done with GDPR, general data protection regulations, or even, you know, the government in California with CCPA, the California consumer privacy act, which again, regulates the way um, that people share their data and, and what, platforms, but also third parties can do with it. I, I think those are really important considerations. And I think the time to have those conversations is now. If we wait any longer, we're really going to be running behind. And, and we saw that a year ago with the first round of tech company CEOs testifying to Congress, when members of Congress asked them questions like, how do I set up my hotmail? Why, you know, it's, they're asking yeah. that question to Mark Zuckerberg, not realizing one, he has nothing to do with it, but two, they're missing the larger questions. I think they got 
better in the most recent hearings. But again, there's that partisan divide. You know, Republicans tend to believe this is in the states that the platforms are biased against them. Democrats feel that the platforms have too much power, who is responsible for freedom of speech. And then compounding that is the fact that the platforms don't think of themselves as publishers, but really they are arbiters of what we see, the information we find, what we discover, if we type in a question in search, they're the ones who are showing us or their algorithms are showing us what we need to find. So we need to figure out how we can regulate them. And I, I, I kind of wish that the ideal me wishes that platforms would combine with journalism and sort of come up with a great new hybrid that would keep journalism profitable, you know, so they ask the tough questions and, and show us different perspectives. I, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I, I, I think we do need legislation quickly. And I think brands need to ensure that they're safeguarding their customers' data. So for example, they're collecting their data, which third parties are they sharing it with? Uh, Cadillac Fairview got into trouble recently for these hidden cameras they were using to capture people's images in malls across Canada, aimed at, you know, trying to find out what the demographic is. Okay, I get that. They weren't really transparent about what they were doing. But meanwhile, they thought the data was destroyed, but it wasn't. The third party who they contracted has it. So they potentially have all this facial recognition data. And that's, I think, wrong because I know I was in some of those malls. I'm sure my image was captured. I did not give them permission to do that. Would I have? Um, had I known? Probably. Because, you know, I just, uh, it's trade-off. But I think all of those are really important questions that we need to ask. And, and brands need to be very, very protective of their customers' data because essentially that's their customers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really the top of mind issue uh, for so many people. What does the future of social media and search engine advertising look like from the perspective of consumer data? If we consider the possibilities versus, you know, what you, you said, you know, you probably would have said yes, because there's a payoff. Where is that line between the consumer benefit and the discomfort that we feel? Where's the balance there? That's a great question. I think the answer is it depends. It depends on your own personal considerations. So for example, I think of the difference between myself and my wife. So I don't mind having, I don't want to say S-I-R-I's name because it will come on and start answering questions. But I don't mind <laughs> having that and activating it. My wife doesn't like that. She doesn't like the fact that she feels platforms are listening and they are. And so I need to respect that. You know, you have to have these different levels of respect and comfort with, you know, what you're willing to give away. Unfortunately, too many of us download an app because it seems like this great new cool thing, whatever. And, and we give it access to so many things that we shouldn't. So I would say just at the, at the base level, go through all your apps, see which ones have access to your mic, to your photos and to your location and turn it off most of them because they don't need to know that stuff or turn it on when you're using them. For example, if you're using a social network, just things like that, but data, Google apparently in the next few years is going to be getting rid of cookies. 
from third-party data. So they're still going to collect the first-party data, but brands aren't going to be able to necessarily use thir third parties to track their customers. And that's going to be a big shift yeah. in search and digital advertising. So all of these things are things that companies need to prepare for. And part of, and one of the ways of preparing is get better relationships with your customers, get that permission so that you can at least market to them directly. Honestly, email marketing still works provided the content of the email is good. And again, you're competing with everything else. So what's in there and how can you make that email of value to me and, and to you too, Melinda, because you know, what we're interested in are very different things. And that's where customization comes in, artificial intelligence, which helps us customize all of those things. They're not coming there here, but they're going to become more pervasive, I think. So another uh, interesting concern, which is of particular interest to me because I've got uh, one living in my house and that's Gen Z. And they are increasingly engaging through less public platform. So they're not on Facebook, they're in private chat groups, or they're in video game servers. So how should marketers be evolving their approach to uh, reach this demographic? I think it goes back again to those one-to-one -one relationships that you need permission to you know, communicate with people. And we see that on WhatsApp. WhatsApp for business, I think, is very much one-to-one -one. customer service using um, Facebook Messenger or any kind of DM is one-to-one. -one. But it's an interesting shift. I kind of like the shift. You know, the expression, it was called dark social, which mm -hmm. is very different than the dark web. Don't go to the dark <laughs> yeah. web. It's a very bad place. But dark social is communication that happens under a gated platform. Slack is another great example of dark social. You can build a fantastic community. A brand can build a great community on Slack, but it's kind of private to the members. Yeah. And I think, you know, the whole notion of permission is so important and earning your customers trust. And that's not easy. If you just blast out ads and junk, like online pollution at them, you're not going to be earning their trust. Yeah. Especially when you have a, you know, digital natives who are so savvy and they mm -hmm. can smell product placement or any hint of, they can smell it a mile away. They may know who influencers are without even having to be told. So uh, they're, they're a, an interesting, an interesting generation. If we're talking about digital marketing, we, we have to talk about algorithms. So from a marketing, a purely marketing perspective, are some more useful than others? And if so, what makes a better algorithm in your opinion? Well, the first thing marketers need to do is step back because algorithm is a word that we use every single day. And I think most people don't really understand what it means. It has a very simple definition, which is a set of steps used to solve a mathematical problem. It's like a recipe. So that's what an algorithm is. I, I think we, when you have an algorithm, you need to also have the data. And those two go hand in hand, really. So an algorithm is only as good as the data that it's been, say, trained on or that's been given to it. You know, if the data that you have is biased, you know, that hurts the results and, and could give you biased results. If the data that you have is um, not diverse, then again, 
you're not getting the kinds of results you need. So I think data is really an important consideration, making sure that you have a data lake. So as clean a data set as possible. And that means you need to know the sources of your data. Is it all yours? That's great. But is it a combination of your own data and then data that you're buying? How good is, you know, how, how clean is that data? Right. That, that's one thing. And then the algorithms themselves have their own biases because they may have been written by people whose biases are built into it. If it's a deep learning algorithm, they're not really transparent. So even the people who wrote it don't exactly know how they reach the prediction that right. they spit out at the end, the output. And so that's a question. And there's actually a movement. I think IBM is one of the companies uh, that's really pushing this. And so is Microsoft on algorithmic transparency or explainability of algorithms. Because if you don't trust an algorithm, it's one thing you don't trust it, but it, it gives me a recommendation for a movie on Netflix. Fine. I may like it. I may not. But if it's giving me or my doctor a diagnosis, I want to know how it arrived at that because, you know, we, we want to understand. I think that's a really important consideration. I also think that all of us in marketing and sales in retail, we need to get a handle on what AI is and does because it's not coming. It's here. And it's here when we search because, you know, the results that we're getting are powered by a complex series of algorithms all working together to customize the results. It's there with ads that are made dynamic or customized based on, you know, who they think is seeing them. And so we think of AI as Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator. Mm-hmm. And that's a form of AI, but we're nowhere near that. I think we need to really get a handle on, you know, what predictions are being made about us, why we're seeing the things that we're seeing and demand transparency. Yeah, that's an, I heard recently someone had put the, an idea out there of like, what if platforms were forced to offer people the option to opt out of algorithms? So you just get a, you know, a time feed of whatever's posted and it's not in any way curated for you. And I thought that was quite interesting because who knows how that might change what you see and would it maybe be less divisive? It's just an interesting idea that I had never heard of before. And I thought, I, you know what, I might try that. If Facebook said you could opt out, I might opt out and see what I might see what happened, you know? Oh, I think it's, yeah, it's a good thing. Well, you can sort of do that now in search. If you use a search engine called DuckDuckGo, have you used that? No, I have not. Okay, so it's Duck, D-U-C-K-D-U-C-K-G-O.com. Okay. And they're not targeting you based on what you've clicked on. Right. So it's really interesting to compare, say, a search on Google or Bing with a search on DuckDuckGo. There's a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. but there are also differences. So that that's one place you can do it. I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Social Dilemma. That was No, just- but it's on my list. Okay. Yeah. So in that movie there, um, one of the experts they talked to is, is a computer scientist named Jaron Lanier. And Jaron Lanier, I mean, He's not a young guy. He actually invented the concept of virtual reality, like the programming theory around it. Really smart guy, very, very skeptical of what the platform's algorithms are doing to us in terms of, you know, getting our attention, dividing Mm -hmm. us, things like that. He said the only example right now online of, of 
you know, a, a place that's not really partial to algorithms is Wikipedia. Because when you search something on Wikipedia, the page I see is a page you see. Right. And that's what the web used to be like, but it sure yeah. isn't now. So I think it would be good to have that option. Yeah, I think so too. So Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening. Exactly. <laughs> well, simply keeping on top of everything because it is, it's changing it by the hour. It's not just by the day. It, it's so constantly changing. This is a full-time job. What tips do you have for marketers who are just desperately trying to stay ahead of this? I think one, pay attention to what's hype and what's real. So this is something, having a PR background, I, this is something Silicon Valley does all the time. They announce something and it sounds, oh, this is really great. And then it goes into beta and it's like, oh, more people are trying it. And then they launch it. And sometimes there's a long time period and we, t and we tend to forget that. So you need to really pay attention to what's actually here and what's coming. And what I do is I subscribe to a ton of feeds. You don't have to subscribe mm -hmm. to as many. I get, and it's old fashioned. You could actually do this with a feed reader or with Flipboard. You know, you bring in the feeds and you kind of scan it every day. But I really like um, MIT Technology Reviews newsletter for what's happening with artificial intelligence. I like Adweek, their free newsletter. I like uh, New York Times Technology newsletter. So those are the kinds of things that TechCrunch always has what's going on. So if you just subscribe to those and get a daily digest and just scan it the way you'd scan the news, for example, you start to get a handle on what's going on. The challenge with AI is the language is something we're not familiar with. So if I say generative adversarial network, you kind of go, what? Is that, mm -hmm. or, or if I say an RNN, a recurrent neural network, you're going, well, what do you mean by that? So we have to learn how to define them in simple and easy terms. And there, there, are, there are some good resources to do that. One is a book that I just love. It's called, You Look Like a Thing and I Love You. <laughs> by Great Janelle, name. Yeah, by Janelle Shane, who is a PhD computer scientist. She runs a blog called AI Weirdness, which in itself is hilarious. And she explains what AI is in language that we understand and using examples that are funny and also that uh, make sense to people. So I would say pick up that book. It's a, it's a great place to start. Great. Thank you. So as we look ahead to 2021, we're almost there. Um, what are some of the things that you are expecting to see and what should brands be focused on for their digital marketing strategies? Well, on a personal level, I hope I can start traveling again, because <laughs> that would be a really nice thing or just going out with friends and family, not having to worry about things. I, but I think if brands expect the digital transformation that really we've seen accelerated in the last eight, 10 months to slow down and go back to the way it was, I think they're kidding themselves. So they need to think about, okay, we're here. How can we now combine, you know, experiential, what you have when you go to an event or a retail location with digital and because of augmented reality and location and the confluence of all of those, it's potentially really exciting because we're going to be able to see customized things. I know just before the pandemic, my wife and I were in uh, Scotland 
visiting our daughter who was doing a master's there. And so we we're kind of wandering around and I held up Google Maps and it showed directions like arrows to where we wanted it to go. And that was really amazing. And I, and I thought, ah, you know, they're starting to have ads on there. That would be amazing for stores too. Or as you pass by a coffee place, say, hey, we know you've been walking for a while. Feel like a coffee? Come in, you know, something like that. Now they need to have permission because otherwise it gets creepy. So how do yeah. you sort of walk the line between creepy and value. And that's something every brand needs to know. And it, it's not easy. Definitely. It's an interesting conundrum. And I think that younger people are more inclined to allow that kind of thing if they, they're, they're more comfortable with it. Um, I, my husband and I are in the same sort of situation as you and, and your wife, where we don't agree always on the level of intrusiveness on you know mm -hmm. my husband's perspective perspective is that it's intrusive and for me i'm excited to find out what is around the corner so yeah. it's definitely an interesting challenge well thank you so much for for chatting with us today it was been, been great talking to you great talking to you too thanks so much Melinda. there's so much to think about when it comes to digital marketing especially when it comes to the thorny concerns around ethics Martin is giving some really clear direction. Ask for permission. He said that so many times I lost count. In some circumstances, you're going to be forced to ask, but even when you don't have regulations binding you, being guided by the desire to build a better relationship with your consumer should guide you. So ask for permission. Don't be a content polluter and stay on top of what's changing because by the time we air this podcast, there could already be a new platform taking the world by storm. As always, thank you for listening to Think Retail. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time we discuss the year that was and look ahead to 2021. We hope you'll join us.